and welcome to the 388th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that preordains your mind's desire each and every week. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the developments of the week. But before we do, I want to remind everyone that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Oh boy, Cliff, we got a busy one this week. What's on the agenda? A lot to do. First, we're going to talk about a couple challenges, legacy and modern, some spicy, fun things in there. Then we got segment two, our top paper movers, has a lot to do with the unban announcements. Nothing got banned, but the unbannings went crazy. Both online and in paper, we're going to talk about the top movers. Segment four is our cards to watch. We've got some spicy stuff in there. Finally, we need to go over a jam-packed 2024. We Actually, it's only the first three quarters of 2024. They didn't even give us the end of next year. And we'll talk a little bit about the banned and restricted announcement that just happened yesterday. Sounds good. Coming off hot on the heels of Pro Tour Lord of the Rings from Barcelona last week, we have the Modern Challenge on Magic Online this past Friday, August 4th, looking very similar overall to what we saw at the Pro Tour, where I think the one ring was in 45 or 49 or something percent of all the decks that that were registered, and it didn't completely dominate the top eight or anything but it was a major major presence just as people expected and of course bow masters was in in the featured as a four of in the black red scam deck that took the whole thing down and again indeed here in this challenge we have the same kind of thing going on with black red scam in first third and fourth with the aforementioned bow masters four color omnath featuring either four or three copies of the ring in second and sixth shardless rhinos in fifth and eighth one of the other decks that did very well in that tournament both uh, featuring the now standard four Lorien Revealed in those lists. And then the odd duck of the week is this Kragenwick combo deck that we have seen in top eights before this year, and it's been lurking in the format for a while. This is a, a Pyrite Spellbomb for the Underworld Cookbook for Kragenwick Cremator, which is kind of a, the centerpiece of the whole deck. It's a 5-4 for 2-2 two and two red. When it enters the battlefield, you discard a card at random. If you discard a creature card this way, it deals damage equal to that creature card's power to target player or planeswalker. And generally, you're trying to discard either Emrakul, the Eon's Torn, or Yargle and Multani to dome them and just finish the game. You also have two Orcish Bowmasters squeezing into this updated version of the list, as it can get a couple of extra points in on your opponent and punish them for card draw clear out early attackers, get rid of their Ragavan, their Dragon's Rage Channeler, anything else that they're foolish enough to table that has an X1 stat line. They've got two Fable of the Mirror Breaker, four Lightning Bolt, four Goryo's Vengeance, four Thoughtseize, and four Profane Tutor as uh, yet another MH2 card top eating. Well, the the real spice here is that you're, ta- you're playing Underworld Cookbook on turn one. Uh, is this a legendary artifact? I didn't check. But the fun thing is you want to... Make sure that you... No, it's not legendary. So your Urza Sagas can all go find it. And you can just discard all your cards to make food tokens. And then when you've got four mana later on, you can return a Kragenwick and... an Well, you can't return Emrakul, it reshuffles. But the Yargle and Multani to dome them up for 18 again. This is a surprisingly redundant deck if you didn't watch any of the videos with it. And it is just a lot of fun to cast Kragenwick and have it be... I've got one card in hand. I wonder what it is. Did you use a Shockland? Die. Yeah. On over in the Legacy Challenge, things were even crazier. This one was taken down by a deck I've never seen before. I'm going to call it Creative Technique for lack of anything else. Creative Technique is a Commander 2021 card, and there's nothing more sweet for Commander players than to see something that was 
utterly ignored in a commander release for years before people figured out how to build a modern or legacy deck around it. In this case, it's a sorcery for five mana that has demonstrate. When you cast the spell, you may copy it. If you do, choose an opponent to also copy it. So you get two copies of it, your opponent gets one. And in this particular uh, situation, you're going to shuffle your library, reveal cards from the top until you reveal a non-land card, exile that card, and put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. You may cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost. And the reason you're willing to do this is that pretty much everything else in your deck has Cascade. So you're going to do something like put four Maelstrom Wanderer, two Sakashima's Protege, three Aurora Phoenix, four Boarding Party, two Apex Devastator, or two Sweet Gum Recluse into play off the back of creative technique you're going to do it twice presumably let your opponent do it once they're going to put something into play could be very good could be a solitude a fury could be a one ring or a orcish bowmasters these days but you're going to put in something like emrakul or maelstrom wanderer and then your stuff that you put in all has cascade so you're going to put some more stuff in play and then those things might have cascade and then you're going to put more stuff in play and it's just going to be completely ridiculous it is completely ridiculous. This deck starts at five mana. Like, I want to say that one more time. The The namesake card of this is a five mana sorcery. They only play three copies of it. They don't even and want only the three full copies. four. They don't want the full four. So what happens is because of Demonstrate, you're going to get two cracks at this. And the next two non-lands, they're either going to have Cascade, which will get you into another creative technique and two more casts. Or you're going to land in Emrakul. There is no other way this goes. It's just Cascade, more this, Cascade, more this. I don't know what happens. So you have to have, and this is the key, you have to have two counter spells ready to go on this card. Because when you cast the creative technique, you immediately get the choice to copy it. So your opponent has to have two counter spells ready. And if even the first one of these resolves, you're going to get to a Cascade trigger. And that, that's a trigger on cast. You can't counter the boarding party's cascade unless you have like a stifle ready to go and almost nobody did apparently so this thing is beautiful running all of the terrible terrible uh comes into play tapped but you can tap for two mana twice and then you have to sacrifice at lands the mana base on this 40 lands and all almost all of them tap for two mana it's a terrible beautiful god bless magic the gathering sort of deck very glass cannony for sure. And I would imagine they uh, mulligan pretty aggressively to get into position to win. I would love it if foils of Hickory Woodlot, Surprise and Scary, Sandstone Needle, and so forth took off here because I certainly have those sitting around in my pile of old border foils. And yeah, this is just a thing of beauty. I mean, four Maelstrom Wanderer in Legacy? Preach. Crazy. The second place deck wasn't much less wild. I mean, this is a eight blast deck referring to four shrapnel blast and four galvanic blast, a bunch of red cards and artifacts, four chrome mox, four mox opal, four retrofitter foundry, a shadow spear, three experimental synthesizer out of Neo, four ornithopter, four Bray's apprentice, four fable of the mirror breaker. Bray's apprentice. Don't think I've seen that as an MH2 card in legacy before, but add that to the MH2 feathers in in the set's cap four great furnace four wasteland four snow covered mountain four urza saga four shatter skull smashing quite the burn artifact deck here it's a beautiful thing i didn't even know bray's apprentice was a card honestly i hadn't seen this in any of the mon horizons 2 i'd done but being able to tap sack an artifact and do any number of these where you either exile the top card and get to play it or target creature gets plus two plus oh you'll do some work with that in this whole setup uh, I also love a 16 land plus four Shatter Skull Smashing kind of mana base. Uh, sign me up. Four of those lands are Urza Saga, where they just go. And the other four, Wasteland, where you're just hoping to hit theirs. <laughs> well, they have four Chromox and four Mox Opal, so they, you know, yeah. the, the land base is real solid from that from that angle. Uh, the third place list here was Grixis Regent with four Orpish Bowmasters again. Mono Blue Artifacts in fourth. Painter's Servant in fifth, running four four Oliphant out of uh, Lord of the Rings and four Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Blue Black Shadow in sixth and seventh with four Orcish Bowmasters and three Troll of Khazad-dûm or the inverse three Orcish Bowmasters and four Troll in the seventh place list. And then Lands was an eighth. This top eight looks nothing like Legacy two years ago. 
Yeah. The the only the only thing in here that we would have seen two years ago was I guess Painter Servant and Lands were you know and they weren't core to the format so much as they were tier two or you know you might run into it in the occasional league. So wild wild stuff here. It's notable that uh, something we talked about last week you know decks that had a plan and wanted to do their plan they did well at the Pro Tour. These are these legacy decks are almost all. I have a plan and I'm going to kick some butt on this plan. And for sure, you know, people weren't able to force a will and daze their way out of these problems. They were just too much to do. Moving on over to segment two, Top Paper Movers. We've got some early action on the first weekend of release for Commander Masters, a set that is looking decidedly medium in a lot of people's eyes. I think primarily because, though it has some very good high end in the in the shape of textured foil, jeweled lotus, and so forth, you can definitely get blown out in, in this product given the combination of the price increase that Wizards has been shoving down people's throats, as well as the expansive card pool there's a lot of rares and a lot of mythics in the set and not all of them are bombs and yet people went hunting for bargains on opening weekend has been has become a bit of a tradition uh, in recent years and it looks like they found some we had smothering tithe borderless going 17 to 21 just 24 percent gains uh, over the weekend deadly rollick borderless going 18 to 24 33 percent gains we also had fierce guardianship Borderless, kind of a default must-include blue counterspell for EDH, going from 32 to 55 on first weekend action. I would imagine they're going to have they're going to struggle against increasingly cheaper pallets of sealed product getting cracked into singles uh, over the next three, six, twelve months, and that's going to be it's going to be tough for all but the very highest demand cards to hold any of these levels. So I would, if I had bought at those levels or I'm cracking into a situation where these levels have been pushed up temporarily over, you know, in the first few days, I'd be selling into that for sure. I would agree with that. There's a lot going on. The variance is super high on this. I don't know if the value will be there long enough. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. We've got crashing footfalls, 325 to 475, 46% gains, finally seeing some movement. It, it feels to me like crashing footfalls, if it dodges a reprint until at least MH3 next summer, now freshly announced, then footfalls probably becomes a $10 card. If it doesn't get printed in MH3 and it makes it through all the way through 2024, it could be a future 15 to $20 card if the shardless rhinos deck stays in the format. But Given the propensity for reprints, I think it's uh, it would be unusual for Footfalls to make it that far. Because <laughs> actually, it's not a, it's not an MH2 card; it's an MH1 card. Right. Yeah. So I agree with you, and uh, I have a stack that I bought at exactly the wrong time. So I'm really hoping this has a chance to improve a bit higher, and I can buy list my way out of uh, a, a bad purchasing decision at one point a couple years ago. So let's let's keep hoping. I've got a stack at a dollar, so looking already in buy listing position on those. Yeah, you're looking how, great. How, how much further I'm going to hold? We've got Cityscape Leveler at a Brothers War going 18 to 26. This is on a combination of a smattering of EDH play and expansive play in Pioneer and Modern decks, and I think it's seen some standard play as well. This is just one of the stronger mythics out of that set, and uh, has held up well as folks have moved on th- through the various. Uh, additional hype cycles since Brothers War came out last fall. We've got Conduit of Ruin out of Battle for Zendikar, four fifty to eight dollars, seventy-seven percent gains. That's going to be the Eldrazi Zuladok uh, Commander Masters deck. Zuladok has shifted into the fifth uh, most popular commander built in the last week on EDH Rec. It's the deck I've played roughly eight times in the last week. Deck is very strong uh, once you upgrade it. It is a unique play pattern versus a lot of other decks because you get to put, play all sorts of big colorless stuff that you normally won't get around to casting in most games. And it's been pretty fun so far. Getting double cascade really lets you leverage the top deck mode that is likely to take place in these big rampy colorless decks. Because typically what happens is your opening hand that you're going to keep is like a soul ring and a manifold key, maybe a basalt monolith or something. You're trying to get to seven or eight mana pretty quickly. You're going to play something. The table's going to path it. You're going to play something else. They're going to destroy that artifact, like a wondrous crucible or something. And then you're going to get put into top deck mode at some point where your utility lands can help you get out of it, sometimes by either scrying or surveilling or drawing cards. And... 
Then you really want to be able to get Zuladoc on the board, which is not too, too hard because it's six mana, which is pretty, pretty cheap for an Eldrazi that gives you double cascade. And then you're hoping to find a, you know, eight to 12 drop that you can reestablish your board presence with. So Zuladoc's looking good, and I'm not surprised to see related cards rising as a result. Yeah, all the Eldrazi that didn't get reprinted, we're about to talk another one too. They're looking good, and every all the accessories are going crazy. So it's fun. It's a good time. I think I highlighted this one and a couple of other uh, uh, accessories that didn't get reprinted a couple weeks ago. So good job if you got them cheap. Hopefully you're able to get out while the good is good. Soldevi Digger out of Alliances is interacts with the bottom of your deck, and I think that's a Doctor Who combo situation based on the reveals we got. Going 8 to 15, that's a 20... Five-year-old card, something more like that, that. Yeah, maybe more than that. Actually, it's printed in the first four years of the game for sure. We also got Fierce Guardianship Borderless that we mentioned before, and Spawn Sire of Ulamog out of Return of the Eldrazi, eight fifty to twenty dollars. I forgot that card existed. I took a look at this earlier, and I was like, oh yeah, I got to put that into Zuladoc for sure. Because that when they path or farewell a bunch of your Eldrazi, you can go cast them, them back. Out of exile with the Spawn yeah. Sire. That's very nasty. I mean, so, you get your tokens and you get your emergency relief button. Like, it's great on both counts. Yeah, looking good. Splinter Twin, people wrongly assumed for at least the sixth time that it was going to get unbanned and it got pushed up over $20 from $7. I, I hope you got a chance to get out if you per- partook in that particular <laughs> action. Wizards put out notes on the bannings uh, via their weekly stream earlier today, and I think one of the comments was they're just not convinced that Splinter... It's not that Splinter Twin's power is necessarily too high for the format anymore. It's more that they just don't think it leads to a fun play pattern. Like, the, the instant win nature of the card, they're reluctant to put it back in. So I would say that the future of this spec is still looking pretty grim, and absolutely you wanted to be selling into the hype, but your window has already closed at this point. Yeah, especially with something like Force of Negation available, you don't want to be messing around with uh, these instant wins, especially with something like both Pestermite and the uh, Exarch, the way that they can tap somebody's land to remove whatever they were going to do. Nope, sorry, not not interested. They went ahead and unbanned Preordain in Modern. It's a card that draws a card, scries two. There just so happened to be a Jumpstart 2022 version that had unique art that was sitting around at $1.50. They jumped to $10 for 550% plus gains. There's also a Brothers War retro frame that came out in the Commander deck last November, and they went from $1 to $10, 900% gains. There is a Secret Layer version that went for, with easily the coolest art available. That went from 8 to 28 and made that anybody who bought that secret layer a winner because you also have the fancy Just gamble. Just instantly win, yeah. Well, you have the priority and the gamble, so that's enough to cover cover the whole uh, shebang now. And that one went uh, up 250%. Uh, the other thing they unbanned was Mind's Desire, so the Scourge version of that for Legacy, not Modern, went a dollar to $14, 1,300% gains. And then there was the Creative Technique deck that we discussed in Legacy that took the the challenge down this weekend. That card went from a dollar to $6, 500% gains there. I didn't know that card existed. I don't have any C21 sitting around. I am completely <laughs> on the sidelines for that one. Well, you, you could just get in at most Commander specs pretty cheaply now. In case you're wondering if somebody's going to come up with something busted to do again. Over on Magic Online, same kind of thing. We had Urza Saga going 24 tickets to about 39 tickets, 62% gains, presumably because the announcement schedule for the year kind of suggests that the most likely reprint spot for the key modern staples is not until next summer, which some people might have seen as a green light to go ahead and stock up on MH2 staples that will be needed in the intervening 12 months. Likewise, Merktide Regent went 13 tickets to almost 29 tickets, 120% gains. That might uh, have more to do with the expanding legacy play in Blue Black Shadow and also Grixis Merktide. Uh, and again, if the if people think that there's no reprint likely until MH3, then you know these these are going to work out very well. There's nothing stopping them from tossing it in a treasure chest or anything. That seems like your constant risk on Magic Online as well. 
Scourge copies of Mind's Desire went 33 cents to 15 tickets. 4,600% gains. Ooh, doggy. And then this next one is the biggest gain I have seen all year, maybe during the entirety of this cast on Magic Online. <laughs> Preordain M11 regular copies on Magic Online were 3 cents heading into this, and they ended up at $3.68. So if if you saw that coming at all and stockpiled them here and there in carts for a while, you're doing just fine. <laughs> the old 12,000% return. I mean, holy biscuits. That's just, it, they never bothered to print it again because it got banned in modern relatively quickly, if I recall. So, like, they they never bothered putting it in treasure chests. It hasn't been additions and things. At least in paper, it's shown up here and there. Like, they throw it in a secret lair. They tossed it in a jump start. There it is in the Brothers War Commander. But online, it was just, nope, here you go. And now this common from M11, which is 12 years ago is now a $3 common. Congratulations to everybody who had managed to acquire a whole bunch of them and have now sold off at five-figure gains. I mean, I didn't see anybody talking about preordain ahead of time, so I, I would suspect no. it very... You know, there might have been some action as the announcement hit with people hitting up the bots and trying to slam them and get them checked out before the bots updated their lists, but that can be very tricky because a lot of people, often the bots are overwhelmed during that period. And if they're smart, they just shut down briefly to wait and see what's going on. So I don't know if anybody actually is going to be able to extract much money out of this. But even if you you got in on them at 50 cents or a dollar as they were climbing and you can now get out in the high twos, you're still doing just fine. I mean, we're still talking That's about still pretty good, yeah. you know, 10, 20, 40 dollars max probably across any kind of likely action. But that could still pay for your next couple drafts. Not bad at all. Moving on over to cards to watch. Uh, I talked about this in the the Discord last week, but I think I, I decided it might be worth flagging here. Troll of Khazad-Doom is looking like it is likely to end up with a similar play pattern to Lorien Revealed, which is the island cycler out of Lord of the Rings. Troll of Khazad-Doom lets you go sw- get swamps, but it's not basic swamps. It's any swamp. So again, as with Lorien Revealed, you can go get any kind of island. You can get a dual land. You can get a tri land. You can get uh, Legacy Duels. And as a result, you're seeing Troll show up in blue-black shadow builds in Legacy. And you're showing it, seeing it show up in the blue-black Soren's Ransom deck in Modern. And I have a feeling that trend line is going to continue because it's just so handy to have something that either, in the case of Lorien Revealed, gets you the land you need early on, draws you cards later, or in the case of Troll, gets you the swamp you need, and then presents a threat uh, you know a serious threat because you need three creatures to block the troll so in the late game if you're forced to play it and you get that far and you draw one off the top it's not the worst draw in the universe not a dead draw and as a result you can currently get the non-foil trolls at about a dollar and i have a feeling that you might get a shot at buy listing these closer to two dollars even if it's a dollar fifty you're doing fine if you pick up a brick of 20 50 100 of these sit on them for a while you're probably going to be in pretty good shape on the buy list. Now, the question becomes, are you getting more trolls come November? Because if you're getting more, it's a common, that's not going to help you. Especially if that troll, and I suspect this could be true, is going to have sexier art. Right. Because they showed off the Sauron the Dark Lord art for that set this weekend. And it's like a tech, like a late 70s acid trip concert poster version and it is quite obviously the best version (laughs) like if you if you want a true to lore version that's not your version but if you want a excellent table presentation version that will for sure be your version and i think that's going to be the whole scam come november right they're just going to give us better looking versions of all the cards that you already own and then people are going to be like "Ah, i guess i guess i will yeah and and so if you get more trolls and the troll art's better then the spec's going to fall flat entirely. So are you going to get a chance to get out on it on buy list between now and when we know whether Troll is in? Uh, it's tough because I think we're getting announcements on the that Lord of the Rings release come mid or late September. We might not know about Troll until late October. Could Troll get there in the interim? It might, but I think it's risky. There is a risk in this, but you're you're... You're saying what the risk is right up front. We know that there's more Lord of the Rings product coming. We don't know the specifics of what will be in it. It's clearly indicated that with the Sauron reprint, 
and looking awesome that there might be awesome versions of most cards. I don't know if they planned on doing sweet versions of commons, because that's what the troll is, is just a common along with Lorien Revealed. But this is also these uh, cyclers are also strong candidates for reprints in other ways, too. I think you're you're right that if you dodge this if you dodge this in the holiday reprint, this is a lock. This is super solid. People love doing stuff like this. Um, I've been looking at trying out these one mana cyclers in Commander, and that feels great too. Where you just like, okay, no, I need a land. Go get a land. Oh, I don't need a land. Great, I got a, a threat they gotta deal with. I, I think of the non-green three, four, and five color decks that they are. They almost certainly should be in there in land slots. Right. So I'm with you. I think this is good. I would prefer to wait until we had a little more information about what's in the set that's coming. But if you wanted to go ahead and take a swing, especially if you've got a hookup that's pretty cheap, I would not fault you for that. There's a couple of other related opportunities if you don't like uh, risking the regulars. The foils could chase uphill to the $10 price point of the Lorien Revealed foils in short order. They're currently around 4 or 5 pushed up from 2 a couple weeks ago. I suspect they're going to continue to drain out as the pressure grows on the card. And you might have an opportunity there to grab at five and not buy a list, but just sell play sets right. to constructed players that bother to foil out their decks. And the other opportunity is if you cracked Lord of the Rings boxes and you have your bulk sitting around, I'm willing to bet you you have two to four copies of Troll of Kazadoom foils sitting around. And you probably, if you haven't grabbed Lorien Revealed out of there yet, you probably should be doing that too, because then Definitely. you can go ahead and list on eBay at anywhere from a $20 to $40 per playset price point, depending on when you get around to doing it, and, you know, recoup some additional value out of those boxes. Nothing like, nothing better than selling foil commons at five to 10 bucks a piece. It does feel real good. It's true. All right. What's your first selection here? Uh, last week, you let out a call that people should get out on Fury. I am saying that we need to sell on Allied Fetchlands. We don't know for sure that they're in Modern Horizons 3, but they have avoided printing the Allied Fetchlands, a flooded strand, polluted delta, all these other things. They've avoided printing them for a while, and I think that whatever you aren't playing, or whatever isn't like super mega premium... I think you should think about getting rid of before they officially announce the fetches are in Modern Horizons 3. I'm willing to listen if you th don't think the fetches will be in there, but looking at the price pattern of what happened to the enemy color fetches in Modern Horizons 2, where these have reached incredible lows, things we haven't seen since they were in standard and even cheaper than that, if I remember correctly. I think Tarns were 25 then, and now they're 20. So, like... I think that now is the time before the official announcement hits. Any spare fetches you have, you should get rid of. Because you're going to get more now than you will once it's announced. And I don't want to be caught with extras laying around. Like, I've, I've sold off a handful of uh, flooded strands that I had laying around. And anything that's not in a deck is going to get gone pretty soon for me. The interesting thing about allied fetches is... For most of them, they have more premium printings than they have regular printings. Right. For instance, Flooded Strand has only had two regular set print print runs. Onslaught in the mid-2000s and Cons, uh, of Cons of Tarkir, which was what, fall 2014? Yeah, that was a long time ago. Or fall 2015, one of the two. And the Onslaught version is very pricey these days. Those are old border and even regular copies near mint on TCG player are going for $75. The foils of those are very, very expensive, like right. hundreds are... to low thousands. Right. And Kazatar Kir is the most normal and, you know, normalized version. And it is the only modern frame regular release. $27 for those, 51 for the foil. So a great point to be exiting on those if you're expecting them to show up in the next year and you don't need them. The other versions available are the Judge promos sitting at 230, the Zendikar Expeditions sitting at 240. And that's original the, Zendikar, right? Or no, Zendikar. No, that's Battle, Battle for, Zendikar. for Zendikar. Yeah. 
And then Zendikar Rising had them again in the expedition slot. And those are currently at 40 and 73. And they've been kind of drifting slowly downward over the year, I think, because people assumed they'd be in Lord of the Rings. Here's the thing. It's not impossible that they skipped them in the main Lord of the Rings release, but they are part of the subset of new cards in the holiday release. Sure. There's all kinds of places they could decide to throw the fetch lands. But, and that just feeds into the idea. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Is that, but, but to explore that a little further, why would it be there and not in the main release? Because they wanted to make sure you bought it in Q4 and juice the Christmas season. And if they put it there, that's what that will do. Now, they've announced Modern Horizons 3 for next summer, so they are seem like they'd be an obvious lock there too. It feels that way, yes. That would be my best guess as to where we see them. Second guess would be the a surprise release uh, for the Lord of the Rings thing in November. They haven't told us what the bonus sheet looks like for Ixalan yet, I don't think. So that's also a possibility. They could do, they could do lands like they're doing enchantments for Wilds of Aldrain, so we know there's I no think risk there. The only uh, sets we haven't gotten subsets for are uh, Planeswalkers, and that's about it. We've gotten land subsets in both of the Zendikar returns and the expeditions. Yeah, they they can they can go there again. I think the 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 biggest argument against that happening with Ixalan or any other standard set is just that they don't want the fetches in standard. Right. So. They can put them in a special slot of CBs for a standard set and get away with it, but they might not just they might just not want to mess with that. And, and again, it makes sense for them to show up in MH3. So uh, you would expect there to be a banner borderless version because there. If you look at the Zendikar expeditions that we've gotten in the two Zendikar sets, none of they have unique borders. They don't actually qualify as extended art or borderless. So it's kind of like a slam dunk obvious thing for them to do they can also make retro versions of them with better art because the onslaught retros are beloved amongst the crowd from that time period that can afford to own them but the art's not particularly spectacular so and then cons has like dead dragons and all of their fetch lands for some reason yeah well because cons is where the dragons live right so so yes i agree with your cell call i think it makes perfect sense similarly i'm going to go with dothy voidwalker but it's on a decidedly short to midterm horizon because I would fully expect that Voidwalker, Urza Saga, Esper Sentinel, and the Elementals from MH2 can very easily catch a reprint next summer in MH3. They are all worth enough money that they fill rare and mythic slots very well. There's plenty of demand for all the, uh, those cards on that list. But Voidwalker might be able to push higher in the interim it's currently sitting at about ten dollars for regular copies i think going 10 to 20 if it dodges the reprint until next summer could very easily happen it's a top 25 card in modern right now because it's a four of in the dominant black red scam deck the black band and restricted list is behind us now so we know they're not targeting Bowmasters or fury or any of that this year and even though we have that mh3 risk in front of us the black red scam play pattern heading into the fall as people turn their attention away from their summer activities and back to their local LGSs might get void Walker into position to make some money before it catches the reprint. It's hard to argue with uh, picking a card that was uh, in, you know, the top four decks of the last modern challenge. It was a four of in three of them. So out of 16 possible copies, they were 12 were being played. And and also had a also had a legendary segment in the Pro Tour coverage where it, it cast, really was great. It's true. Cast uh, Karn or an Eldrazi or something. It was off. an Eldrazi. It was an Ulamog. An Ulamog. Exiled, yeah. exiled poor guys. Only two Urza lands in play. It was fantastic. It's every scam player's dream. And that was that game wrapped up. Yeah, that's just all right. Let's move on to the next game. I'm with you. Uh, the regulars up to ten seems like a pretty solid spot. You're not trying to chase either the old border or the etched foil or an extended art foil. You're just like, no, modern play. there's enough modern players that are going to have enough demand that it can go up this high. And especially when it's got such a great clip of like 15 seconds. That's some. That's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, if you know vines, that would have fit on a, a vine pretty great. Alrighty. What's your final selection here? 
my other pick this week is a mythic out of Brothers War. Uh, Myrel, the Shield of Argive, is one of the mythics, one of the most expensive cards from that set. Uh, I'm looking at the extended art versions for around $19. I think they've got a lot of room to grow. I'm picking it to go to around 35 in the next 6 to 12 months. It's pretty popular in Commander. It's in 26,000 EDH recs. That includes 3,000 decks as the commander. And because Myrel says that during your turn your opponents can't cast spells, can't activate abilities of artifacts, creatures, or enchantments, just nobody gets to do anything, nobody gets to mess with your stuff, that is a very popular ability in commander, and people want that. And the deck, the card is not showing up in a lot of standard or anything like that. This is just the casual market grabbing onto a card and saying, this is phenomenal. There are four versions of the card. There's regular foil, extended art, and foil extended art. The ex foil extended arts are around $40 to $45 already. I don't think there's as much uh, profit to be made there because you'd need it to go to like $70. And I think that's much less likely than the extended arts, which are on an upward tick. They have the right number of vendors. It sells the right numbers of copies per day. Just, you know, onesie-twosie a day as people pick up the extended art. And I think it should get there on a pretty straightforward growth pattern based on what we're seeing right now. EDH rec stats on Myrel are at... 28,000, uh, including 3,200 as commander. 3% of all white decks. It's pretty solid. I, I think that the play I would prefer for the sales pace to be higher... Right. To me, like onesie twosie day for this kind of card is could be replaced by buy list action pretty easily and it could keep the 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 price fairly static. It's also been, you know, ten dollars of growth in the last six months on the foil extended arts while the extended arts have fallen a bit. So and there's only twenty six listings left for near mint foil extended arts. If I extend that to lightly played forty one listings. It seems like the kind of card that's gonna go without a reprint for a long, long time. Feels that way, yeah. I could see the foils of this card ending up in the 60 to $80 range just because there's hardly any of them left. And then it sure. ending up getting printed in a Commander Masters 2 in 2026 or something. It's also worth mentioning if we get another soldier enabler kind of thing, Myrel is a soldier who can make a bunch of soldiers when it attacks based on how many soldiers you have. And that's the kind of thing, plus it's uh, in its static ability. It's hard to argue with that too. I agree, the foils might be the way to go. I just liked the sales pace of the extended art non-foils better than the foil prices. But I see where you're coming from. Good enough for me. Let's uh, move on over to this absolutely wild product release schedule that was announced at Gen Con by Wizards of the Coast this weekend for 2024 and 2025. They went out of their way to give us tidbits about what is coming in 2025. But I think for tonight, we're just going to focus on most of the information that's been firmly confirmed for 2024. We have a total of eight major releases. There will presumably be a whole bunch of secret layers as well and a whole uh, slew of ancillary products and minor surprises along the way. But in terms of the major stuff that we have to plan around in MTG Finance for next year, this is what we're dealing with. In quarter one, we have Ravnica Remastered taking on the role of Dominaria Remastered from last year and Time Spiral Remastered the year before. We know that uh, Dominaria Remastered ended up being a very medium set. It had a, a bunch of cool, good reprints, some really nice uh, premium treatments associated with key cards, but people complained that it was somewhat of an unnecessary set, that it was part of the increased pace problem. And I don't think Ravnica Remastered is going to solve any of that for <laughs> This will probably most notably be a automatic reprint for any major modern or EDH staple that has been related to any of the Ravnica sets. Front and center of the release, of course, is going to be Shocklands, so you can expect to get fancy new versions of Shocklands in well, this. Well, Retro Frame, they showed us. Yeah. Did they say whether there are also extended art and or borderless? They did not, but it's, it will have Retro Frame versions of iconic cards like the original Ravnica Shocklands, and then they also showed us an Arclight Phoenix. And really notably, right. this is the uh, they only showed us Hollowed Fountain. This is the same art as in Dissension. So they're going all the way back on this. I don't know how far, if they're going to do that for all 10 shocks. I would be surprised if they didn't. 
if they did this once, I, I would be surprised if they didn't. And, you know, they get it from Rob Alexander to do it once. They can probably get him to do it again. See, I would say that 80% of all Shocklands ever have very medium art. And I right. would prefer, if they're going to give me retro a, a shot at Retrofoils, give me brand new art. Really hot art. But we'll, we'll see how this kicks out. I, I suspect this will be a very medium release. Uh, anything that's from any of these sets is like that's of note is likely to get reprinted here. So reprint risk for a Ravnica-related spec, super-duper high. Could, doubling season. Could doubling season catch a triple tap here? That would be absolutely egregious, uh, given that it's getting two this month alone. Give me a, a percentage here. I know uh, what my percentage is. I'm going to say there is a 40% chance that doubling season is in this. I'm like, yeah, I'm like 50-50 on it. Yeah. They, they, they just really seem capable of making that error. And, and let's be clear, the reason it's an error, because ultimately for a collectible game to survive over time... You want your dedicated players and whales to be able to reasonably expect that their collections hold value. Now, that doesn't mean that everything has to hold, continue to hold value. There's, I think it's expected and allowable that there is some bleed out to rotation of formats, as especially in an era where they're printing more and more new cards all the time. I had this discussion at length with pro traders today in the Discord, talking about how the trade-off in modern over the last couple of, you know, four years since Modern Horizon 1 was announced, has very clearly been, you're going to have a fresh dynamic format pretty much all the time, but cards from 15, 20 years ago cannot automatically be expected to be played. And, and I think that's fine. That said, you are, it doesn't seem like there's one person whose job it is to make sure <laughs> that, that reprints are well-spaced. <laughs> Uh, you offered to do this job for a dollar last I'll, week. I so. still will, but I, I hope they will just realize that given their pace of reprint, they really need somebody to be looking at that. They can claim publicly all they want that they don't pay attention to secondary market pricing, but that Lies. is wildly irresponsible if true. I hope <laughs> that they have an economic, uh, like a data analyst who specializes in in product pricing that does, as part of their job description, look at singles prices over time for key staples because you can bleed that stone a lot, but there is a limit. And clearly in talking to some of our pro traders, there are some people that feel like the limit is already reached. Like if you talk to Oko about it, he for sure does. And others agree with him. So I'm not there yet. I think they, they can squeeze the stone for a while longer. But they, they do need a better solution than, you know, if they were to triple tap doubling season here. That's just silly, because as we talked about last week, there are other cards that could have filled those slots and done, you know, just as good of a job. Moving on, as the first standard set of the year, we have Murders at Karlov Manor, which is kind of a, feels like a fancy game of Clue. Not a theme that is especially interesting to me, but I'm willing to give it a chance. They are apparently releasing a Clue Magic Hybrid alongside this set where you can play Clue and cast magic spells at the same time. So I'm curious whether that means they have figured out a way to let you use real magic cards in the game. I just thought it was going to be a, a Clue game with Ravnica in it. So like you could choose, um, you know, instead of Colonel no, they, Mustard, it'd be a Johnny. So No, they, they very clearly said that, that it integrates magic into the game. All right. Can't wait to see that. So I have no idea how they're going to try to pull that off. I suspect oh. it will probably not be <laughs> all that great given that clue is not a great game to begin with if you want to play a classic cops and robbers type game from the 80s i would suggest that you dig up stop thief now that was a game i don't know if you remember this this might i i don't know i never played this <clears throat> it was a game that there was a whole era of gaming in the 80s where as computers were coming to the forefront board games got sold with electronic devices that interacted with the board Stop Thief, the premise was that there you're in a shopping mall and there's a thief that can turn invisible. And so at the start of your turn, you would press a button on the Stop Thief computer, which was just a circuit board in a in a plastic shell, I suppose. And it would make the sound of the thief moving through the mall. So it'd be like creak, 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 glass breaks, two steps, opens a door, and then you would have to look you and the other players would look around the map trying to figure out silently where that must have been. 
and then you had to move your character nearby and then you could guess its spot and the computer would track where the thief was at any given time on a grid. And the whole idea was that you would catch the thief X number of times to win the game. That sounds uh, fun. Super, super fun. Way better than Clue. Moving right along, there is it going to be a major Fallout Commander deck release, which looks like it's the the extension of the 40k decks, the Lord of the Ring decks, the big Commander deck property in Q1 will be Fallout. I'm not convinced that this is strong IP in the slightest. Fallout what? games, Fallout games have a have a strong following, but I don't think they have enough interesting characters and monsters and stuff to really make this stand out. I'm spluttering over here. I'm just going to ignore everything you said for the past 45 seconds. And I'm going to say this is going to be sweet. And there's going to be super mutants. And you're going to be able to assemble all kinds of cool stuff together. And there's going to be a lot of flavorful stuff happening. And how dare you? How dare you, sir? But what's what's the flavor? The flavor is post-apocalyptic greatness. What else uh-huh. do you need? I-, I can see how there could be some cool equipment here. Oh, my God. Oh my God! Just let's. Bef- I, I'm. I'm sorry. We just need to move on before I lose my mind. If you say anything like that again, I'm just. I'm hurt, James. I'm hurt that you were so dismissive of a great <laughs> and deep IP. You're. You're that deep. You're deep. That deep on Fallout, huh? Okay. Maybe Listen I'm wrong. to me. I. I'm one of the ten percent of people that once tried to make the Legion to to win everything for the Legion in New Vegas, and I felt bad the whole way through. All right. So I need you to understand that this is a cool property that does a lot of cool things, and I have every confidence based on Warhammer being cool and Lord of the Rings being cool. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say this is going to be awesome, and I can't wait. See, 40K is extremely deep in the lore, and I don't the the grim darkness of it kind of rubs me the wrong way, but having... When they announced the 40K products for Magic, I did kind of a deep dive on YouTube into their lore. It's really, 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 really deep. Like, they could make that that Henry Cavill TV show or movie series or whatever they're working on. It's going to be good. Like, there's a lot to work with there. Fallout is kind of on the Doctor Who level for me, where they have some, like, strokes oh of brilliance God. that they can just, bring to the forefront. But it's just, I, um, how many of the Doctor's companions are you really going to be like, I play Rose? How many people on this earth know how many doctors there have been? Yeah, that's true, too. That's part of the problem. All right. So move, it, okay. Moving okay. right along. Q2 release. This will be probably late April, early May. Outlaws of Thunder Junction. So they finally, they're digging yeah. into the, the, the bottom of the trope barrel. And they're like, we haven't done an outright country set yet. So I guess we'll just do some cowboys and give them some magic powers. And they'll get some six shooters and shoot a dragon out of the air. This is going to be right precious. I need you to know that I will get a gathering of money together from all the pro traders on how much it would take to get you to do a whole podcast in that accent. Because that was amazing. Little known fact, at one point, Jason Alt and I experimented with... Uh, recording a thing called Walkin' the Plains that was supposed to be Jason doing Christopher Walken's voice and dissing new magic sets as they came out. Oh my god, we have to find this. That that footage exists somewhere on a hard drive. <laughs> and maybe I'll try to find it one day. It was, uh, it was pretty fun. He had some real gems. And uh, yeah, little tidbit for you. So then the major, major release for summer of 2024 that I expect we will have a fairly massive group buy on is going to be Modern Horizons 3, where they'll give us tri-elementals that are both (laughs) tri-lands and free spells, (laughs) or some such nonsense. They'll print 60 new staples into the modern format. Part of, part of my discussion with the Pro Traders today, I went and took a look at, of the top 50 cards in Modern, how many of them were released from Modern Horizons 1 forward. And the answer is 29 are from the last four years, and 21 are from before that. So we didn't get any actual card previews from this, and that's probably for the best. All we yeah. got was a piece of key art with uh, the three Eldrazi Titans, Emrakul and Ulamog and Kozilek, and you know, you know, some kind of like wave breaking over uh, hedrons going on. So, are we going to get the same version of these cards? Like, you can't show us Emrakul 
And I, I could handle if you want to reprint The Promised End. That card really needs it. I don't think we need uh, more copies of either version of Ulamog at this point. Do you? I would hope that's new versions of the Titans. I would hope so, too. But I'm, I mean, according to our lore, uh, Emrakul is sealed in the moon or something, right? I'll tell you, Zuladoc's going to go up <laughs> if they show me three new Titans next spring. Boy, howdy. Because uh, the, also... the, the deck is already real good. So if they give us like se- like seven, eight, nine casting cost versions of any of those. Oh, no. They'll give us 19, 20, and 35 casting cost versions. Also possible. Uh, I love that they haven't done an actual Modern Masters set since they started doing Modern Horizons. And that's just skillful use of the reprints all over the other places that they do reprints. So we've, we're getting a lot of these. It, it's basically just acknowledging that it makes more sense to combine new and old cards right. than it does to try to go to the reprint well. Because if you're going to do a remastered set every winter, and then you're going to have secret layers with reprints all year, and then you're going to have a smattering of reprints and standard sets like Liliana the Veil, and you're going to also do a bit major summer release every year, you really need to focus more on new cards and less on reprints. And it's funny because there, there's some really tough to manage tensions there. Like we've got all these yeah. magic players, including plenty of the discord complaining about the rate of change in modern, uh, you know, one of our, our mods, Brian has brought up several times that a lot of He's... people kind of expected modern to be the legacy place light. where you legacy light, where all, you know, you you can play all your old cards problem with that is that you know as soon as they announced modern horizons one we knew we that era was over because as soon as they committed to printing direct to that format they can only go one of two ways they can print modern horizon sets that don't have any new staples which is a complete would be a colossal colossal failure and would kill the product line (laughs) yeah nobody would buy it or they can intentionally make 30 to 40 staples per set. Now, there's there's a very nuanced discussion to be had about how many new staples per set. But I would counter, you know, I think 29 to 21 is pretty high. Uh, it probably should be lower to balance the scales better. But I also think that Wizards does a very good job of, and an increasingly good job, of providing staples that bring archetypes that were on the sidelines into the limelight right like just sauron's ransom plus law plus lorian revealed brought back a blue black deck into modern it doesn't take much but and now we get preordain as well so the blue decks yeah. are getting the tools that they might need uh, i think i commented on this uh, last week when we talked about the pro tour there wasn't really a, a classic style control deck that did well in this format and i don't think it's because they lacked answers they just couldn't answer everything and maybe these blue black spells that give you more card draw and selection are what you need for that but they're 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 trying to make good things happen with these sets they're giving people new things to do rather than just a tweak here to an old deck uh you're not finding the same amount of things and creating excitement is really what they want to do in order to sell these sets so some new titans, let's go. Yeah. And sell the format. Like, go, go play modern because it's totally different than it was six months ago. I think it's fine. Like, the the mana bases are not shifting that much. You know, beyond the addition of the triomes, things have been relatively steady on the, on the mana front. So anybody who owns shocks and fetches and triomes has a relatively reliable base for modern for the foreseeable future. And Urza Saga. And Saga. Uh, and probably Besaju. And... If you have your evoke elementals, you're going to get used to those for years. Like they're they're probably going to be. There's some chance that something like Bowmasters or Fury might get nixed, but they were also already talking in the BNR uh, post announcement notes that they're looking at making creatures with higher toughness at lower casting cost to compensate for Bowmasters and Fury and Ren and Six, and. As long as they, they play some of that tug-of-war, where they try to figure out what the sticky points in the format are and print relevant solutions. Like, for instance, I think that you can you can have a, a utility creature printed in MH3 that punishes free spells. Right. Incidentally, on a relevant body. 
And that would just go a long way immediately to addressing the elementals. Because if that should, if that card ends up as ubiquitous as Bowmasters, in the say it's a white card, then maybe that brings you know brings the elementals decks down a peg and brings up a bunch of others. They've shown a, a willingness to to provide fresh tools for typal decks. So uh, the Merfolk Queen that they printed in MH2 and Caldra Complete and Chatterfang and Asmo. There's a lot of interesting design work from MH2 that doesn't get enough credit that brought whole new archetypes to life and, and kept me watching streams all year. Right. Like, it's been a fresh one to three decks per month for pretty much the whole year. I can't think of a healthier place to be in a format like this. I, I don't think a settled legacy style format, like say legacy five, like seven years ago to four years ago, where most of the same decks were getting played with very little, you know, fresh inclusion until MH1 showed up is really the place you want modern to be. I, I, I think you want modern to be in a place where you can more or less expect that your staples are going to last two to five years and that, you know, your mana base might last the entirety of your modern career. But does it matter that Dark Confidant and Snapcaster have fallen out of the format? I, I don't think so. If the trade-up is that you get a format that's constantly fresh. I would agree with you on that. Um, Especially I, since Magic is a gaming platform. Right. Like, if you, if you own a Dark Confidant or a Snapcaster Mage, put it in your EDH deck. <laughs> a lot easier with Snapcaster than Dark Confidant if you're... <laughs> depending on on what your curve is but the you know the fact remains there's so many ways to play magic cards are not actually just dead if you chose to only play, play pioneer or only play modern you do have the option of branching out and using those cards in other places you can build a cube you can you know get some edh decks together one thing uh i'm i'm thinking about a lot with modern horizons 3 being on the horizon pardon the, the expression is that for several months, maybe even a year since we got the last teaser announcement like this, we've been saying watch out for Commander Masters. It might be in Commander Masters. And we got reprints that we didn't even know might be outside of Commander Masters. So I know that on my radar, whenever I'm making a pick for the next, you know, nearly a year probably, we're going to be talking about could this be in Modern Horizons 3? Absolutely. So you need to keep that in mind and either get out before it gets previewed or knock it in at all and keep that in mind as a potential roadblock in the future. But also keep in mind, you might get reprinted way before that and have no idea it was coming. So don't fixate too hard, I'd say. So I'm thinking Modern Horizons 3 is probably going to land early June. Uh-huh. And then there's apparently an Assassin's Creed Universes Beyond release that is looks like probably the next attempt at an aftermath type situation where they're going to give us just some random boosters with IP attached to them and try to probably sell us collector boosters of these. Again, I don't think Assassin's Creed has the IP strength to pull this off. Like I can't, I've played multiple of these games. I can't remember the names of any of the major characters. Don't really care. Don't remember any of the names of the villains. (laughs) There's the good assassins and the bad assassins. That's kind of what I remember and enzo's but, one of them but i will say that you can make some very cool art because there's yes. yeah there's there's a lot of stylishness to the assassin's creed um art Property. direction yeah yeah that will lend itself well i mean it's gonna it's gonna end up looking like the plane we haven't gone to yet in standard that was in conspiracy oh what was that called i forget what it was called. it's like a Vene- it's like a venetian Right. Like it's... intrigue plane. Uh, I think that's where Kai is from, actually. And that's probably what we're looking at here. I'm I'm sure our judgment of this will end up being largely about oh, yeah. how many co- how many cool cards they gave us. Aftermath had a handful, the rest of it was was mostly disposable. They need to do better this time for the product to be successful. Let's see how it goes. Following through for Q three, we have Bloomborough which is presumably a September release, early September. And this is a anthropomorphic world where all the animals are, it's just animals and they run around like humans. So like the keystone art they showed us was a mouse knight fighting a fiery wolf 
Looks like it's going to be super cute. I would imagine the related commander decks and secret layers will be very popular. People like me will underestimate them because I don't care that much about animal pictures <laughs> in my in my fantasy games. But I've been proven wrong many times on secret, cute secret layers with cats and dogs in them. So I would imagine there will be some opportunities here. I was very then, hurt to find out this wasn't Redwall. I, I know that when we saw this art and they, they previewed this art for us, I was like, Martin the Warrior, going to get some Redwall on. You're hitting my nostalgia button real hard. And it turns out they're not really using the same property, but a lot of the same tools. So we'll see how it goes. There's also a D&D property that was developed by the Cardamajigs folks in Ottawa, Canada, that uh, looks a lot like this. <laughs> so oh. I, I'm, I'm curious whether Wizards referenced... I mean, this is. I don't think that the premise is all that unique. It's been done many times. Uh, but it, it definitely did occur to me when they made the announcement. Probably the set, the set I am most into is Duskmorn House of Horror, which presumably comes out just after Halloween, maybe a November release. Uh, although they said Q3. So that should be... That should be a little before Halloween then. July, August, September. What's going on yeah. here? Is Bloomboro actually an August release and Duskmorn is the September they just, release? They just tell us that uh, Modern Horizons 3 is in quarter two. So that might be at the beginning of the end of I summer. I think it's June. Excuse me. Yeah, early summer. I'm sorry. I'm saying that the wrong way. It's in the and Lord of the Rings slot. Right. Yeah. And then in quarter three, we're getting the Assassin's Beyond, I'm sorry, Assassin's Creed. Then we're July. Bloomboro as a main set. Probably August. Be, and then Duskworn, which Maybe would October. be... October. First week of October. They don't really tell us if these are all full, which of these are full sets and which aren't. Bloomboro but... and Duskmorn are standard sets, as far as I understand it. So then they're putting two standard sets in quarter three of 2024. Yep. So that would be... So Bloomboro is basically in what used to be the core set release slot. And mm-hmm. Dustmorn is is probably the September, first fall. Late September. Yeah. Be, well, early, early first week of October, pre-release last week of September, because it's setting up for leaning into people's Halloween sensi- sensibilities. The, the look really and feel of Dustmorn looks a lot like or similar to Kingdom Death, which is my most beloved game of all time uh, in terms of board gaming. And I think I'm going to be very into the Dustmorn aesthetic. Uh, it's kind of, it's just kind of like a darker, less sci-fi version of the Phyrexians. It by, says by the looks of it. that the uh, think 70s, 80s horror movies where the whole world takes place inside a giant mansion. This set will use horror differently than Innistrad or Phyrexia did. Whatever that means. <laughs> I think it's more like uh, surrealist horror. Sure. Like it's going to have elements of old gods, Cthulhu-esque type property would be my would be my supposition. So, I think this is a all overall strong lineup. It's a Modern Horizons year. It's going to be hard to go wrong with that. I think that I would much rather see things, you know, as much as I could care less about Murders of Karlov Mansion and and the cowboy uh, property other people will like those and Bloomboro and Dustmorn are cool and I'd rather see this frankly like this experimentation in different directions than Zendikar 8 yeah or yet another plane that is just kind of like pick a culture on earth now the planeswalkers go there but there's a twist it's it's not India it's India with race cars <laughs> or it's um it's uh Mayan with dinosaurs right uh speaking of which we we know that the special inserts for the ixalan release this year coming in november is going to be uh jurassic park which i find amusing because i think that the dinosaurs on ixalan are already more interesting than jurassic park dinosaurs by a lot uh i can see how fans of jurassic park or kids that are into dinosaurs which is my kid and everybody's kid uh, will be pretty into magic cards that have just Tyrannosaurus Rex straight up on them. So, cool. But it's probably going to play out a lot like the Transformers in Brothers War, where they're going to give us some like ultra-premium T-Rex, and that's going to be a chase card, and the rest of it will fade pretty quickly. I'm inclined to agree with you. You know, it's a, it's a neat way. It's clearly the most popular dinosaur IP out there. So if you're looking for something to license to get the crossover going... This would be where you go. So let's 
Let's see what they do with it. If we get reskinned things or if we get brand new dinosaurs. Either way, start looking at your dinosaur specs already. Do you think they'll give us a better commander than uh, What's-Its-Bucket that gets you all your dinosaurs into play? Oh, for sure. They're going to give us hot, fresh dinosaurs to commander around. There's zero doubt in my mind. The um, They also announced that this is part of a three-year story arc. That's part of why they were making announcements, uh, giving us tidbits about 2025. And I think this is enough for now. We'll get into Q4 2024 and the rest of the 2025 uh, hints, uh, I guess, next week. So, where can folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online on Twitter, at Word of Commander, as well as my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you folks can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com, and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners that haven't checked it out yet to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service. For just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money. Playing Magic the Gathering. Guarantee you that if you're planning on buying a Modern Horizons 3 product next summer, <laughs> just our group buy on that will pay for your whole year. So you may as well get in now and get set up <laughs> while the getting's good. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Oh, that's a lot to go over, James, and we got more to go next week. Big, big announcements and more to come. Thank you, Cliff. Thank all, thank all of our listeners, and we will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.